And today we're up to Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13 to 21, which you'll find on page 1044. Um, If you're using one of the Bibles, there should be one kind of in arm's length uh, somewhere nearby, or it may come up on the screen, uh, not sure. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 12. Uh, Next week we'll be taking a break, uh, as you'll see from the notice sheet. We've got a guest speaker next week. I hope you can come. He's a Pakistani uh, church leader. He's based in Britain, a man called Imtiaz Ashraf. Uh, He's been here on a Sunday evening uh, two or three years ago and was really encouraging and helpful. So looking forward to Imtiaz being here uh, and uh, we're celebrating all kind of what it means to be part of the world church. So it's great to have somebody from uh, another part of the world church kind of sharing with us uh, on that day. So we'll take a break from Luke next Sunday, but we'll carry on afterwards. So we're in Luke chapter 12 then. And uh, as you probably remember, this is uh, all about Jesus on the road towards Jerusalem with his disciples and the crowds. And, and, and Luke is kind of taking us with Jesus on this journey. Uh, it's a, a, well, the second half of his gospel, really, is about Jesus' progress towards Jerusalem and what he's going to do there, uh, what we celebrate at Easter. And there are great crowds around, as we re- were reminded last week, uh, and Jesus is talking uh, to the crowds sometimes, all kinds of people interrupt him and criticize him sometimes and ask him questions. But mainly he wants to get the message across to his disciples. And especially in this chapter, chapter 12, uh, Luke is, is putting material together, it would seem, uh, that, that all connect on, on one theme, which is that he wants his disciples to, to learn what it is to really trust God. To really trust God. And, and lots of what goes on in Luke chapter 12 kind of is around that theme. And Jesus speaks about that. And that's something we maybe need to get hold of ourselves as followers of Jesus, don't we? We need to be able to just trust in God with our lives. Now last week we saw, we were thinking about integrity. Uh, Lou was talking uh, about that from the first part of chapter 12. Uh, and how the inside and the outside of our lives need to match Uh, You're thinking not to be hypocritical uh, and that our words and our actions matter. Our lives have significance. Our choices matter. And there are some quite serious warnings there as well. Um, But there's also great promises of God's love and God's care for us as we walk with him, as we follow him. The promise of the Holy Spirit to help us. If we're worried about or we're under pressure to worry about what we might say when people ask us stuff. We need not be afraid. We can trust him. We can hold it together. Or rather, he can hold us together as we walk down the road following him. So through this section, then uh, Luke brings in incidents. uh, And what Jesus kind of uh, teaches often arises out of an incident or something that somebody says and uh, Uh, And again, clustered around this theme of trusting Jesus, trusting God as we follow him on the journey. And this little section we're reading today is, if you're interested, completely unique to Luke. None of the other gospel writers have it. So it's obviously something that he he had uh, found out about. He tells us at the beginning of his gospel, he did great research, talking to eyewitnesses. And uh, this little story, the parable that we had, and the the, the account, is not found in any of the other gospels. But Luke wants us to to get hold of it. So it's important. Well, let's see then uh, where it goes. Let's start by reading chapter 12, verse 13. 
Someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life or a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. That's how it starts then. Someone in the crowd asks a a question. There's obviously a bit of a family argument going on. There's a a bit of an ongoing dispute, a bit of kind of aggro between two brothers uh, who've been having arguments uh, about an inheritance. Uh, And one of them says, look, Jesus, would you mind, look, look, my brother, would you tell him, please, to, you know, to sort this out? Uh, And in a way, they're they're treating Jesus just as rabbis were treated in those days. Rabbis, teachers, often, you know, if there was a dispute, you'd say, you'd ask someone who you thought might be an expert on God's word and God's law to help you arbitrate. You know, I don't know whether you ever use pastors or ministers like that these days, but uh, don't come to me if you you want that. (laughs) Now, obviously, we, you know, I'm sure we, all of us as elders will help you as much as we can. But, um, you know, uh, that's the idea. Rabbi, you know, help me. Get on my side here. Money, it, it's about an inheritance. It would be either about money or it will be about land, uh, which translates into money, I suppose. Although in that culture, land uh, has its own very significant value at the time. And the brother is obviously standing there too. Now, Jesus won't do it. Instead, he warns them about something that's behind all of this. You know, if you're a doctor, if you're, if you're sick, you know, you go and you often say, well, I've got this problem uh, and it's a symptom, isn't it? You know, bad stomach or, you know, double vision or whatever it is. Uh, and then the doctor says, well, actually, I think your problem is this, actually. The symptom is, is not the underlying cause. And Jesus, in his answer, says to the two brothers, look, Actually, let's not, let's not talk about that for a moment. Let me tell you what the underlying problem is. And what's the underlying problem? It's greed. Interesting, isn't it, that um, Jesus does this. We often want a tame Jesus, don't we? We want Jesus to be on our side. It'd be good, wouldn't it, if we had him you know, in our pockets so that what we wanted, you know, he stamped like these, this brother. He's not going to do that. He's more challenging to the brothers, and indeed to us. Uh, Jesus isn't going to be a tame person that you can have on your side to stamp what you want to do. We're going to follow him. We need to submit our lives to his authority, really. Well, Jesus gives them a serious warning about greed. See that? Be on your guard. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Strong language. Twice. Stress. First of all, he says, watch out. That's a bit like, you know, the alarm going off. You know, that sometimes happens. He says, look, be careful. Watch out. There's something you need to be aware of here. And then he says, now be on your guard. He says, take some ongoing preventative work here. You need to respond, but you need to be responding in a way that is going to kind of prepare you for... uh, the dangers of this kind of pressure on you into the future. And this is addressed, he sa- it says here, not just to the man, but it says, he said to them. 
It's the disciples. It's the people who are around him. Again, Jesus is answering the question, but he's pointing out wider into something he wants his disciples to get hold of. So what is it then? What is it that's so dangerous? What is it? It's greed. So what does greed mean? Well, the word in the original uh, language has this idea of it's the desire to have more. The desire to have more. And it's not just about money. It's not just about possessions. It can be about wanting more of anything or wanting more than enough of influence, maybe, of power, celebrity status. It's an interesting. It's an internal thing, isn't it? It's a, a, an inward driver. It's wanting. It's the desire to have more. It comes from within the person. It's actually the word in the New Testament that is used to describe that, co- that commandment. Do you remember the commandment that says, you shall not covet? You know what coveting is? Coveting is the desire to want more. It's about wanting more than you have. It's interesting, in the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments, it's the only one that actually points to the internal attitude rather than the thing that you do wrong. If you notice the Ten Commandments, you, know, you, you, you must worship the Lord your God, you mustn't make an image, you mustn't commit adultery, you, you mustn't uh, tell lies, you mustn't steal, you mustn't kill, you mustn't da-da-da. And the very last one is, uh, by the way, you mustn't want more. It's internal. It's very interesting uh, here. And Jesus said we need to be careful about this. We need to be careful. Now, we need to be on our guard. Do I have to say much about this, living in the 21st century in our world? Wanting more is kind of, kind of how it is, isn't it? And wanting more, it's, it's a bit like drinking salt water. You know, if you drink salt water, you just get more and more thirsty. I believe it makes you a little crazy as well. Is that right, medics? That's, you know, the stories of people, you know, caught in boats, you know, they stranded sailors in their boat drinking salt water. It doesn't make that satisfy their thirst. It just makes them worse and it drives them mad. Do we see any of that around us? Wanting more. Wanting more. And there is a lot of it about, isn't there? I googled yesterday in prep, quite late at night, um, the curse of the lottery winner. That's interesting, Google. There's all kinds of things, terrible things have happened to people when they got what they wanted. Uh, One guy, I think he he got, uh, I think, millions on the lottery, uh, and his partner, his wife, uh, immediately hired a a hitman, put a contract out on his life to kill him. You know, and lots of other things like that. I don't have to go into this, do I, really? Wanting more. Why can't bankers give up their bonuses? They just want more. Why do MPs cheat on their expenses? Because they want more. Rockefeller, who at the time was the, this is back early 20th century, the most uh, rich person, the richest person in the world. Somebody said to him once, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. It's why the West won't uh, play fair in trade with the developing world. We just want more. We just want more. 
And maybe we could talk about it in our own individual lives as well. Now, I want to turn to a a, a verse in Colossians in the New Testament, which uh, talks about this. It's in Colossians 3. If you want to follow, you can. Uh, Can we get stuff up on Easy Worship? Howard, if you you can, don't don't worry if you can't. Colossians 3, it's page 1184, if you're following. Um, It's a list of, uh, Paul is writing to believers in the uh, early days of the church in the New Testament. And in verse 5, he tells them to put to death what belongs to their earthly nature, that how they were before they were believers, before, they, before God got hold of them and gave them his new life. He says, put to death those kind of things, those behaviors. And there's a whole list of them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry, says Paul in Colossians. And you could turn back, if you wanted to, listen to some verses from Romans 1. Romans 1. And here again, Paul is talking here about the world as it is without God. Verse 21 of Romans 1, that's page 1128. For although they knew God, he's talking about the kind of human race's history, really, And perhaps even the history of our individual lives in a sense. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Then verse 25 They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. See, a lot of things go wrong when we love something God has made rather than God himself. That's the point. Paul says here we, we become foolish. Hold that thought. It's going to come up in this parable. We become foolish Because we kind of let go of the truth of God and we we start getting orientated towards stuff God's made or stuff that is uh, not what God would want us to have. It's idolatry, loving what God's made rather than God. And Jesus wants people who follow him, us, to be on our guard against greed. We need to hear this, don't we, in our culture more than ever before. We, we have so much and yet we want so much more. And it's never enough. And I, going back to Luke 12, pop back to Luke 12 now. This little section that Luke gives us, I, I, I like to think of it as a bit like, you might not like to be reminded of this, but those kind of cigarette packets, you know, or those the cigarette adverts, have you seen them? Well, not adverts for cigarettes, but you know, with... with Showing you what it looks like, you know, once your lungs start rotting or, you know, somebody smoking a cigarette and and a tumor grows on the cigarette, that kind of thing. And in a way, what Luke or what Jesus is doing here and, and Luke is giving it to us is giving us a picture of what greed does to a person. What does it look like once greed, once loving more, wanting more gets hold of us? rather than God. That's what's happening here. And that's what I want us to have a look at as we go through. So what does greed do? A serious warning about greed. Well, first of all, greed can destroy relationships. 
I mean, that's obviously the man and his brother. There he is in the crowd. Maybe some of you know this. Um, Sometimes, you know, fights develop, don't they? Between families in relationships. What about over wills? Don't know. I one or two. I won't look any, in any ways. Well, I was just thinking of somebody who might work with wills and uh, who knows the law. I'm sure plenty of lawyers could tell us if they were to break their professional um, rules, which of course they wouldn't. The kind of trouble and fights that can develop between family members over money. Greed can destroy relationships. People who don't want to pay for care for their older relatives because they don't want to lose their inheritance. Greed can destroy relationships. What else can greed do? Greed can colonize your life. You know what happens when when something's colonized, don't you? You know, something comes in and it just begins to just take over, fill up everything. That's behind Jesus' statement here. Your life is made up of more than what you possess. Because Jesus is saying, look guys, you're, you're treating your life as if it's all about this dispute, this money, this argument between the two of you. And greed can colonize our life. It fills it up. So the desire to have more becomes our life. It fills everything And as it fills everything, there's no room for anything else. Or everything else is kind of seen through the filter of, I just want more. Power, wealth, celebrity, stuff, whatever it is. It can colonize our lives. And Jesus is saying life is more than that. It's not what life is meant to be like. Every now and then you read a biography or or you hear a quote and... You know, somebody, you hear that somebody's actually heard that whisper from Jesus. And they actually, so I haven't got the quote written down, but uh, Patsy Palmer, well, you know, she's the uh, EastEnders soap star and stuff, you know, said talked on one occasion about this huge emptiness, you know, the more that they had. You know, and, and we could, you know, list many, many people who found that to be true. And then Jesus tells them this story to explain how greed works and to point to a different way. Let's read it, verse 16. We've actually seen it on the the, um, cartoon earlier on, but we'll read it too. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. It's a story then, story about a rich man, and he's got a lot of land. Now, interesting, Jesus doesn't condemn the guy for having land. He doesn't say that there's, um, there's anything wrong 
with this man at all. The man hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't got his, his wealth by bad means. He's probably, as, it, as the video hinted, you know, giving lots of people a good job and so on and so on. There's nothing wrong with him being wealthy. He's, he's, he's fine. What's happened is that his land has done really, really well one particular year. And he ends up with a huge kind of bonus, a, a huge windfall, if you like. And he ends up with much more than he ever used to have, much more than he needed. But look what happens to him in the story, in the story Jesus is telling. Because it shows us how greed begins to affect this man, where the little tumors, as it were, on the cigarette start growing. As I say, there's nothing wrong with wealth, as we shall see. Jesus says his wealth isn't the problem. The problem is greed. That's the problem. And greed does something to him. First of all, did you notice it makes him very self-oriented? Look at the conversation he has with himself. <laughs> uh, often in Jesus' parables, you have people kind of having conversations with themselves. It's a great way of telling the story, isn't it? It gets you into it. It starts off quite reasonably. Well, what shall I do? I've had a good windfall. Everything's been going well. I haven't got enough, uh, enough room for it. He, he, he asks a perfectly reasonable question. But then look how it goes on then. Once he starts to think about what he's going to do, do you notice that next bit? It's, it's all about him, isn't it? Repeated, I'll do this, I'll do that. It's my barns, my crops, my this, I that. That, you know, tight, you know, right through the kind of little conversation. It's all about him and his stuff. It's even about how he's going to talk to himself in the future. You know, he's so orientated, he's imagining himself on his own, having a conversation with himself in the future. It's completely, he's completely in this world of himself, isn't he? Totally self-orientated. And he even thinks that uh, from that kind of place in his own world, it's all about I, me, my, and my stuff, and my this, and my that. He even thinks that he can predict his future. Because he thinks, I know what I'll do. It'll be absolutely fine. I'll, I'll, I'll do this, and then in the future I can sit down and I can say this to myself, and it'll all be fine. No thought of God. He's a self-made man who worships his creator. Someone once quipped about somebody. He's absorbed entirely with himself. The irony was, as Luke pointed out earlier with the children's talk, he wasn't self-made anyway. God had given it to him. His ground had given him the, the, the produce. It was a gift. Greed can do that to us. It can make us completely self-absorbed. Locked into our own little world. And sometimes the more it grips us, the more we're on our own and the more kind of frightening it can become. Another thing greed does, greed makes you stupid, spiritually speaking. Sorry if that sounds a bit offensive, but it's verse 20. God said to him, you fool, you're being foolish. God has a, a, a verdict. Remember what Romans 1 said? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And it's a, there's a connection here. As this man worships himself, looks forward to everything that's absorbed him, he, he, in his kind of thinking of the wider picture, 
becomes very foolish. Now, there's a theme in the Old Testament. It's, it's twice in the Psalms, two different Psalms. Uh, some of you will know, uh, you sometimes used to see it outside old-fashioned, quite conservative churches, which would say, some people used to carry uh, placards around saying, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. And that's, uh, that's twice that comes in, in the um, Psalms. And, and it's true, actually. It might not be the best way to make friends and influence people but it's from the bible and it's true god says if you leave god out of your thinking you become foolish you miss on 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 the, the the key kind of linchpin the thing that makes sense of everything in life actually is that we're created beings for god to know him but we're cut off from him and we become foolish The Old Testament talks about the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if you read the Old Testament books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, and Psalms, a a lot of it is is all about how we find true wisdom. Because these people had a bit of uh, insight into how life worked. They weren't technological like we are, but in their writings, they're looking for the same kind of answers, meaning, purpose in life. And they come to the conclusion that if we leave God out... We're lost. We're all over the place. And we lack true wisdom. And why is he being foolish? Well, God tells him. He says, you're being foolish because life is unpredictable. First of all, you don't know what's going to happen. And second of all, he says, not only is it unpredictable, and for this man it's going to end quite soon, he said there is going to be an accounting he says, your life is going to be demanded from you. And, and the idea is that this idea that actually you have to answer for it. That's what God says to the man in the story. And then he says, your plans are going to come to nothing. The man had prepared it all for himself. But there's an event. And no longer is it available. Events. Many of us know those kind of situations. Don't we? we think it's all fine. Then there's an event. And we realize that actually we need more than just ourselves. Locked into our little world, longing for more and more and more. Only takes a blood clot in your brain or a little bleed. My dad had a stroke. He's doing very well. Two weeks ago, I thought he was going to die. He's 87. Um, But remarkably, he's come back. I thank God for that. But an event just like that events kind of can reveal all kinds of things you know when they dig up tombs from the past they don't find people in those tombs have you noticed that well they find their bones they found richard the third in the car park in leicester (laughs) but it wasn't richard the third was it he he long since gone uh, uh, as a person but you know they didn't find this in leicester but in lots of places like egypt and other cultures they do find stuff in people's tombs don't they where all Tutankhamun's riches came from. Uh, have you seen them? Did, you ever get, did anyone old enough to go to the exhibition when they were here? A few nodding. Yeah, I saw them in Cairo, actually. That was a, quite interesting. Uh, with, there were no security. Any, anyone could just walk in. You know, in Britain, they were like locked behind uh, you know, armed guards. Everything. Uh, I was in Cairo in 1989, and, and they said, do you want to go to the museum? Went in, and there, there it all was, just you know, downstairs, down the stairs, and no, no security, nothing. But, but all of his treasures were there. That's the thing, they were still there, but he wasn't. 
You see, you can't take your stuff with you. When you, get, uh, when you look into a coffin, there aren't any pouches for your gadgets. There's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> There's no handy kind of bits and pieces. Because we won't be there. So greed can make us stupid. But Jesus goes on to talk about how we can get away from greed. Getting away from greed. And he underlines at the end of the parable what the problem is. Verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And he points to another way. There's two things there. He says you can either be rich towards yourself or you can store up things for yourself or you can be rich towards God. Now that's interesting. What's that about? How can we become rich towards God? He's saying we can point inwards to ourselves or we can be reorientated. We can be pointing towards God. We can turn into a, in, in another direction. And when that happens, then things begin to change. They change in our relationship with God. We start worshipping him as we were designed to do. And you know, things change in our relationships with other people too. Because as Jesus had said in, in Luke 10, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and we love our neighbor as ourselves. One follows on from the other. But how can that happen? How can that happen? You know, we can't do that for ourselves. We can't just try and do better. We need help. We need, we need help to get out of this mindset. And where do we get that help? Well, we get it from Jesus. There's a lovely passage uh, in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. I've got it up here, Howard. There's no need to look at it. It's there. This is a, a, a part of a, a letter that, again, St. Paul wrote to some believers He talks about Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. Look at it. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What does that mean? Well, it's a reminder to these Christians that actually Paul is asking them to give to others. He's saying you can give to others because Jesus has come. He is the Lord. That's the word for God. Uh, in the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament. He is the Lord, Jesus, Christ, the Messiah, the Lord God. He's done something for us. Jesus, the word means rescuer, savior. Jesus has died. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Actually, it says Jesus became poor for us. Jesus came into this world. He lived the life we should be living. He died the death we deserved. He took our punishment so that we could know that new life in him. And follow him as our savior, our Lord, our king, our Messiah, our Christ. So all that we need spiritually is in Jesus. That's how we turn towards God. That's how that can happen. Our whole orientation changes because of Jesus. So we become rich toward God. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became so that you through his poverty might become rich. We become rich towards God as we become children of God, as we turn to God, as we trust in Jesus. We can love God and we can love our neighbors out of that grace 
that we have received from God. We have become rich spiritually through Jesus' poverty. And people who live like that out of thankfulness to God for his goodness use their wealth in a different way. Their wealth is towards God. Their whole life is towards God. It's different. And I want to just finally, just for a few minutes, I'll finish at three minutes time, to think about how we might use our wealth, what difference it makes. How, you know, because the New Testament gives us another way of living other than this man in the, the story, who Jesus hints, he could have been rich towards God. What does it look like to be rich toward God in regard to wealth? Now, you may be thinking, well, don't that's okay. I'll turn off for three minutes because I'm not wealthy. Friends, if we live in Britain, we're wealthy. If you think about the, you know, we may be not as wealthy as some people. We may be very poor compared to everyone else. But compared to the world, we're pretty wealthy. Okay, so even at that level, just uh, stick with it. I want to just turn over to a passage again in in Paul's writings in the New Testament in 1 Timothy. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. You might like to turn to it if if you'd like to. I'll give you a page number. It's page 1194. And it's verse 17. Howard, this is uh, jammed. Can you bring up the next slide, please? Thanks. Okay, another way to live. Let's, let me just read it. Read it, follow it with me. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's a great phrase, isn't it? Take hold of life that is truly life. What does Jesus say about the rich man? He didn't realize that life was more than his possessions. Paul says now, it's almost like Paul may have got this story in mind. Paul is saying, look, if, you, you, if you, you're wealthy, you need to take hold of what really matters in life. And by the way, it's not your wealth. It's something else. What does life really consist of? How does it work out in these people? Well, just, just follow it through. First of all, these people, Paul says, have a different attitude to the people around, to the way the culture works. He says they're not arrogant. Uh, they realize that wealth is uncertain. That's the, guy in the, that's the guy in the story. sure didn't get that, did he? He thought it was fine. But he said, if we're living towards God, rich towards God, we, we realize we're, we're not arrogant. We don't trust in our wealth. No, instead, uh, we're going to have a different perspective on life because we're going to be trusting in God. See, we're living for the coming age. This, this, this man in the story just hadn't any thought of the future age at all. He just thought it was all going to be fine. Paul says, no, we live knowing that there's a coming age, that Jesus' kingdom is going to break in in, in totality one day. And that, that we're being rich in that way, have a different perspective on our lives. And we have a different lifestyle. We do good. We can be generous. We can be willing to share, not just absorbed. 
with ourselves. That's what's all there in one Timothy. You can just, uh, that's what I'm going to say, talk about that in your house groups if you like or, or, or whenever. But it's different, isn't it, to the man in the story. We can be rich towards God because we can uh, follow Jesus out of thankfulness with his help, his grace, his spirit, giving us the power to be, have a different lifestyle, a different perspective and a different attitude. So, what does your life look like? What does my life look like? Does it look like this in 1 Timothy 6? If not, well, why not? Let's get rid of greed. Let's not go the way the whole culture is going. Let's turn our back on that. Let's turn towards God. Realize that we can be rich towards God because of Jesus. We can follow him. We can trust ourselves to him. We can know his forgiveness, his help his new life. We can live towards God with Jesus as our Lord, knowing the life he gives. Let's be different here and now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we just want to thank you for these words of Jesus. They're challenging. They're not easy in many ways to absorb Yet we're so aware that our culture is so kind of devoted to the worship of wanting more of everything. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us by your spirit. Because we know in our own experiences that, that we have become rich because Jesus was poor. Not just that he lived a poor lifestyle, but he emptied himself of his glory and he died for us in our place so that we could be forgiven so that we can live the life he wants to live through us by his spirit and we pray lord that if we haven't got there yet look we would grasp that and turn to you and trust our lives into your loving hands and lord we pray that you would also enable us as people who want to follow you to do just that to be followers who have a different way of using our wealth Lord, may we be generous. May we be living our, our life towards you. And out of that, out of that trust in you, hold everything else lightly because our, our, our grip is so firm upon you. Lord, hold us in that, we pray. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.